Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm Sherry Budziak, CEO and founder of Source. Association 4.0 is how we describe the skills needed to navigate Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm Sharon Rice, Managing Director of Business Strategy for Source. And we're recording this podcast during what we hope is the last full month of mandated restrictions due to the COVID-19 pandemic. After a year and a half, we can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. The question is really what's on the other side? So much has changed in the last year and it's hard to know what changes are going to revert and what changes are going to stick. One of the things that we're watching closely is the unprecedented number of choices professionals have to advance their knowledge and their skills. Where associations used to swim in a blue ocean with very little competition, they are now encountering it from every angle. To take a deeper dive into the nature of competitions associations are facing today and options for addressing it is the association executive, who I have learned probably the most from over the course of my career, my former boss and the continuing client, Abe Eshkenazi. Abe is the CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, a position which he has held for the last 15 years. So Abe, welcome. Thanks, Sharon. To the new post-pandemic world. There's a lot going on right now. And just because I think it's somewhat obligatory, as you look back at the last year and a half and everything that you've been through and everything that ASCM has been through, you know, what strikes you as kind of being the most um, meaningful change that you're seeing in the environment? What do you think is going to be the lasting change of the pandemic? It's, uh, I think it's an acceleration of what we had seen prior to the pandemic. And that is that we are in a different market and we are in a different business environment for associations right now. The competition has always been there from other associations or other academic institutions or other content providers. What we're seeing right now is that the barriers to entry are extremely low. The chances or the opportunities for individuals to join or to participate in organizations, whether they be non-for-profit or other types of organizations, has started to fragment. And so we're seeing that the almost the entire industry, from uh, meetings to certifications to content curation to belonging, has been um, modified and it's been changed. And I think the challenge that almost every association has is what does, and I hate this term, the new normal, because I don't know that we are ever in a normal prior Mm -hmm. to the pandemic. We are already in a period of significant transition. I think the pandemic just accelerated a lot of the issues that we had already been seeing. Well, it's interesting that term, the new normal, and, and you probably remember it like I do, it really became a part of our lexicon in like 2008, 2009. Um, in fact, we had a conference that I think the yeah. <laughs> title of the conference was the new normal um, because it, it, we hadn't really encountered in modern history an event like the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. And so we were you know, trying to respond to that and we were reeling from it and we were wondering you know, what was going to be true post-recession and, you know, one of the things that I remember at the time is in, in Apex, formerly Apex, ASCM, formerly Apex, we were really trying to hold on to that share of customer. Yeah. We were really focused on keeping the tie 
to our individual customers, our members and our customers. And I'm not sure, and tell me what your recollection is, but I'm not sure we were really coming out of the recession worried about share of market as much as we were keeping those loyal customers engaged with us and and continuing, you know, to study and become certified and be members. Yeah. And again, we have to remember that the recession in 0809 was a demand recession. Demand just across the board was shut down. Businesses collectively were experiencing a significant recession. This one's a little bit different. I mean, it's not so much on demand. I mean, the demand outpaced the supply in a lot of the, the cases here. But one of the challenges that we see is that relative to the previous um, recession is we tried to get back to what our operations were after 0809. Let's get back to where we were. I don't think that's an option here. And I think that's part of the challenge is that there is no going back to where we were anymore. We have got to fundamentally assess or change the way that we evaluate and see the market today. And I think this is probably a, you know, a challenge for a lot of organizations. Trying, you know, whether a recession or a disruption of this magnitude, what's your focus? Is your focus to get back to where you were or to say, you know what, we can use this opportunity to fundamentally change the way that we approach the market. And I think this is where, you know, again, for depending on where the org life cycle was, and I think this has been a challenge for us. We are on hyper growth prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Although the awareness and the knowledge of supply chain wasn't as ubiquitous as it is today, uh, didn't need, we didn't need a recession to, you know, to demonstrate the value of supply chain. But the industry as a whole was really expanding. Uh, a lot of digital transformation, a lot of e-commerce, a lot of the Amazon effect. So supply chains were already in a transformation. I, I think what's caught us, you know, the difference between where we were and where we are right now is that this has fundamentally changed the business environment and where our competition in the past used to be other associations or perhaps some of the universities. Now we're seeing competition from almost every aspect from for-profit, not-for-profit, government organizations, private industry. Everybody now needs to assess how and what they need to do differently. And I think this goes, the, the challenge for us, as I was mentioning before, we are in hyper growth. So to go from hyper growth to turnaround in less than two to three months really jolted our organization because when you're in hyper growth, every opportunity looks great. You've got a lot of resources, you've got a lot of money, you you can take the chances and turnaround. Obviously, all of us are very, you know, the mindset is very different. It is on, you know, sustaining, it is on recovery, it is on maintaining your employee base as well as your member base. And so this has been a particular challenge for us as an organization to go from hyper growth to turnaround to a market that has now low barriers to entry and competition from um, where we didn't expect it before. Is There are some major players right now that are coming into our market. Well, it's interesting. You and I were talking last week and one of the things from that conversation that you know kind of struck me, um, I think to your point is that to be successful now in this post-pandemic economy, the post-pandemic reality for associations that are are feeling that competition, focus is going to be incredibly important. Mm-hmm. So really looking at, um, you know, what do we need to do more of? What do we need to create? Mm-hmm. But also, what do we need to do less of? And what do we need to just let go of? Because, because the market has changed. And so talk to me a little bit about how 
how you find that focus. I mean, what it's a difficult process, I'm sure, but um, how do you get to the point where you really know you're focused on the right things? It's a really good question because we've been in a, the mindset of associations often is numerical. How many members, how many attendees, how many certifications, how many, you know, members attended a virtual event. So we were always quantitatively based. And I think one of the challenges that we had is what's the impact of what we do as an organization. So instead of just a numbers game, focusing on impact, because I think coming out of this disruption, organizations and individuals are looking for impact. Can you help me do my job better? Can you help me get a job? Can you help my company perform better? And I think the challenge that we have right now is that in a very crowded marketplace of, you know, um, where we had thought we had a lead position with our content mm -hmm. and our certification, what we're seeing is that we're now fighting. We're fighting for a share of voice. We're fighting for a share of mind with individuals right now because we're no longer the only player in town right now. And so one of the challenges that we've got and the, you know, again, we can extrapolate to the entire association industry is what does belonging to an organization mean today or belonging to a group mean today? So we had seen pressure on membership prior to the pandemic. This wasn't new phenomenon, mm -hmm. but I think what we're challenged with now is the value proposition that we're providing for individuals not only in their job, but for the company. And this is where our um, org is a quite a, I'm not sure it's quite different, but it is a little bit different. We're trying to address the individual. We're trying to address the business community, the private enterprises, as well as the community. And so we have very different focus areas than we had in the past. In the past, it was the individual. Get them certified, get them on the job, get them to perform. That was our you know, metric, how many individuals, mm -hmm. how many certifications. It's, uh, while that's still important for us in terms of individuals, you know, accessing our content, it's much more important right now, the impact that they're making in their organizations and in their careers. So when you think about, you know, those three things, so, you know, starting with that focus on individual, we were working hard on workforce development, you know, mm -hmm. forever and most professional associations are, and then kind of broadening out um, partially through like a, a nonprofit merger, I want to say acquisition in some ways, but um, nonprofit merger to be able to get into that corporate space. But talk to me a little bit about what you mean by community. One of the things that we're seeing is the, specifically in this pandemic, there's a very short-term focus for a lot of organizations. Just get me out of my current disruption, get me back to operating under, you know, what we would consider um, reliable data. I can make decisions for the long-term. And this has been a challenge for a lot of supply chain professionals, long-term planning. While they're trying to you know, put out fires in the back room, it's kind of hard for them to think about long-term sustainability for an organization. And I think this is where we're trying to balance the, you know, the content for individuals coming into the, you know, the disruption and coming out of the disruption that it's, it's not the you know, business as usual. And for us as an organization, to change the, the, the focus away, not in addition to the individual, mm -hmm. because we had always had the individual at the center of our business. If we can get them certified, if we can get them recognized for the, you know, the work that they do, we're, you know, we've done our job. Right now, what we're challenged with is the awareness of supply chain and particularly climate change, uh, labor practices, ethical practices, mm -hmm. 
Um, even with the vaccine, we're seeing you know, a lot of disruption in terms of counterfeit and in terms of access to you know, products and services. So the, the challenge that we have right now is that supply chain has become a, a you, you know, as I indicated before, it's become ubiquitous, but I'm not sure most individuals understand the complexity of supply chain, that's first. Secondly, the impact that supply chain has on our lives, not only in getting our stuff that everybody wants, you know, high quality and huge variety and low cost and rapid delivery, those are the expectations today the impact that supply chain is having on economies, on ecology, and collectively on industries is significant. And this is where we believe that we can make a difference through supply chain. And that it's not just on the financial side, it is on the ethical and it is on the environmental side. And this is why it's the community. Because while the impact to, you know, that an individual can have in applying their trade is important, we believe collectively we have a responsibility for our environment and for the ecology. And this is where supply chain needs to step up. And in addition to the, you know, just in time and financial focus, we need to focus on the sustainability and the impact that supply chain has on our community and on our lives. So this is supply chain really kind of fulfilling its destiny in a way, you know, it, it reaching its potential, um, which is really exciting. But as you're talking, what I'm also thinking is, are you sure that ASCM hasn't moved into other people's markets? I mean, yeah. I know you're feeling the competition from others, but when you're thinking about it this broadly, is it perhaps you that's moved into somebody yeah. else's market? Are you the competition? No, you're absolutely dead on on that point. And I think one of the things that we've recognized is that we've got to work through other associations, that we can't go it alone. But I think what's been positive about it is that almost every association understands that they have a supply chain issue. And so it's no longer, you know, an arm's length. Oh, this is not our, you know, responsibility. Now everybody owns supply chain, which is kind of cool because at least they recognize the impact the supply chain has. But to your point, yes, um, organizations are developing supply chain content. So, you know, I can answer positively. Yes, we are moving into other organizations' market space as other organizations are moving into our market space. Uh, I'll give you a great example. Um, Gartner, MIT, they're moving into our market space. Uh, McKinsey, they're curating content as rapidly as anybody else. We're moving and competing with schools that now the certifications and our certificates are now competing with the capability development and the content or the competency development for individuals. And so as the market is shaking out in terms of what is necessary for a supply chain professional, and I think this is one of the areas, to your point, where we've fundamentally changed. We used to be focused on the career-oriented individual. Uh, more mm -hmm. often than not, uh, baccalaureate and majority of master's degree individuals that were accessing our content. We're seeing individuals now with very little knowledge of supply chain and very little formal education getting their foundational knowledge, whether it be in logistics or distribution or procurement and getting back on the job. It is not career oriented individuals, it's job specific individuals. And so this is where we've taken a significant change in terms of our market. We view a much broader market. So to your question, absolutely. We have moved into other areas, but it's also, we've seen a significant gap in terms of developing supply chain professionals. Um, uh, Deloitte study just came out with the Manufacturing Institute. 
uh, by 2030, we are not going to have enough supply chain professionals. That's the next 10 years. This isn't yeah. a function of the next six months. We're seeing a systemic issue on the lack of competent, capable individuals. So it, it, back in the day, uh, when you and I were both starting, you know, working with associations, one of the luxuries that we had was that um, associations had a credibility that for-profit companies did not have. Um, we weren't owned. We, you know, didn't have uh, shareholders. The interest was always for in, in the member, whether that's a professional or, you know, a corporation. Um, and so I think we were viewed somewhat as impartial. Um, our education was better because it was developed usually by a team of volunteers. Um, so it, it represented standards in a way that, you know, maybe we wouldn't have seen. But over the course, and I, and I would say this is, has a lot to do with the digital revolution, certainly. Um, organizations can put out content without having that cadre of volunteer leaders that are, are vetting it and yet the market is accepting it in, in much the same way that they accept association content, at least from my observation. Do you think that's true? No, absolutely. It's, uh, I think we have a credibility question here in terms of the resources. Where is content coming from? How relevant is it? How qualified is the content? And I think this is one of the things that uh, the halo effect uh, that we that you just described for tax exempt organizations. We do have a halo where the, the assumption is that we are for the greater good, that we are using our resources and our focus on the broader community and not just a, you know, the, a financial uh, objective or making um, you know, a return on investment. So the impact on mission and margin, I think, or the balance between margin and mission has always been there for organizations. The, I, I think the, you know, the, the challenge for you know, us as an industry is that we've got to start thinking like for-profit companies. We can't use the, um, you know, we, that, um, that hook that we've always mm -hmm. used that we are agnostic, we are independent, we are, you know, the organization, the go-to organization. Um, individuals are looking for information and it doesn't matter where it's coming from, can it help me? Can it help me do my job better? Can it help me comp my company it perform better? And it's not as critical that it comes from ASCM. And I think yeah. this is where um, the brand development and a lot of the credibility of the organization and the content comes into question. But content curation and content ownership has been under siege for a long time. It is really hard to maintain that content leadership as fast as this industry is moving. And again, I'm, I'm unique to supply chain. This is a rapidly evolving marketplace. To your point before about technology, it has, you know, over the past 15 to 20 years, it has been among the most significant changes within supply chain. And having individuals capable to understand the data and how to use it, um, this is a challenge not only for us as an, you know, an organization, but for the technology companies for the, you know, the consulting organizations. Um, this has been a, you know, the Consultants Full Employment Act, I think would be a good way to say it. Yeah, well, and you know what, if I think about the, we, we tend to, uh, well, uh, let me say that I tend to think about association management skills having a lot to do with governance and, um, you know, kind of membership models, um, certainly education and, uh, certification and, and um, 
you know, meeting planning and those kinds of things. They've been the traditional skills. Mm -hmm. We have a void in the new skills of competition within the association industry. So um, what I'm observing is that it's getting hard to hire the kind of staff we need to compete. So those data analysts aren't attracted mm -hmm. to nonprofits right off the bat. I mean, they don't right. think about that, right? That's not yep. their career. Um, even, you, you know, points of competition, we're not as associations used to having to create differentiation strategies mm -hmm. or, you know, curiously enough, pricing strategies. I, it, it is a rare thing to walk into an association who can explain their pricing strategy mm -hmm. and how that, you know, works from a differentiation perspective. What other new skills are you seeing that that associations just don't possess right now? It's uh, you hit upon, from my perspective, one of the key ones, and that is data. How do we collect, analyze, and discern what is relevant for our organization, and what data do we need? Um, yeah, data analysts and data scientists trying to maintain and hire those individuals is as difficult as any position as we've got right now. The the competencies, uh, I think. The, the collaboration and communication are two of the critical um, sort of competencies that we're looking for right now, because as our discussion before, you, we're not going it alone. You know, we are partnering with the competition. I have a partnership agreement with Gartner. I have a partnership agreement with The Economist. We are working with colleges and universities. So the, while we're competing with them in certain areas, we are cooperating with them in other areas. And so the ability to communicate and collaborate with other organizations is a highly sought after skill today, not just internally, but externally. Next, uh, one of the challenges that we face is connecting our short-term priorities to our long-term strategies. And this has been a challenge for a lot of organizations. And uh, oftentimes it's our own doing because of the governance model and the way that we measure our outcomes as an organization, mm -hmm. whether they be enterprise metrics or you know, key success factors for the organization. Oftentimes they're time limited to the current year. What are you doing for the current year? Well, how does that relate to a long-term strategic plan for your organization and impacting an individual, a community, an industry? And I think this is where the competency of the individual, specifically, um, you know, association execs, needs to. We need to have that entrepreneurial um, sort of knowledge base. Um, one of the things that we're trying, you know, we're playing around with is if we set up our executive team as a private equity firm, what would the hurdles be for every one of your functions? So if you're a financial, you know, perspective, give me your margin function, give me your mission function. What is it that, what are the hurdles and what do I need to achieve? And I think as we develop new markets and new opportunities, it's going to take a very different mindset as opposed to um, the, the term that we used in the past was the field of dreams business model. If you build it, they will come. And mm -hmm. to your point before about data analysts and marketing, you need to be very clear about who you're going after, what value proposition you're providing them, and being able to measure the outcomes. And I think this is where we need to do a much better job on not only the, the talent development, but the follow through on new products and services. So it's, I think, you know, one of the dilemmas of being successful in the here and now is that it's hard to 
walk away mm. from what's making you successful to create enough capacity to to do what you need to do to be successful in the future. There's that tug of war that exists. Um, and certainly boards, um, probably boards themselves are divided where you have members who say, no, we need to keep you know pounding what's working for us. While others are saying, no, we need to be able to make change. Um, how do you manage those two dynamics? Because obviously that what's currently successful is funding yeah. your potential, but it's also draining your your resources. So how do you manage those? Yeah, that's uh, I think if you can find the, you know, the secret to that, you know, uh, problem, I think you've cracked the code here. The, the challenge that you've, uh, you know, identified is, um, is clear for us. We have a number of cash cow products that we have as an organization, and they're predominantly content based. And back mm -hmm. in 2015, 2016, we had identified back then that content was not going to have the value that it has in the future. That more often than not, it was going to be freeware and that content was going to be curated and developed and disseminated in almost every corner. And so therefore- And taken can, for granted. Exactly right. And can we compete on content? And we determined that no, we cannot compete on content. There are other organizations and it's the, the market is moving in a different, you know, very different uh, direction. Then to your point, what is it that you can differentiate yourself on that nobody can replicate as easy? Uh, we used to think it was content. It's not the case anymore. Uh, we're thinking our certifications, our certificates, those are unique in the marketplace and oftentimes the basis of hire for a lot of the individuals. So we can compete on the designation, but more importantly, the, you know, the impact that, and I keep on going back to this you know, statement here, impact. If we can identify the impact that our you know, members and the supply chain is making, it sells itself, it, the value proposition is already there. And I think this is where the, you know, the, the market is coming to us and we've, you know, the market has changed on us and we've got to change the way that we approach the marketplace um, before, take it, it's good for you. And again, the field of dreams, if mm -hmm. you build it, they will come. That's not the case anymore. We've got to, our marketing and going back to the, you know, you're saying before about the data, the data analysts, get me the information so we can make informed decisions. And this is the challenge that we have right now is making sure that the information that we're looking at is qualified and that it's consistent so that we can make decisions. And uh, I will say the data has been jumping all over the board over the past year. It is really tough to get consistent information about the impact or the uptake that you have, whether it be on a content, whether it be on a certification or a new certificate. So when you think about it, you're coming back to Certification. So certifications are high stakes credentials, mm -hmm. um, like uh, the ASCM uh, supply chain management credential. Uh, that is somewhat unique to certifying bodies, which are typically, yeah. you know, nonprofits, professional associations. But now that we're, you know, moving towards micro credentials, mm -hmm. we are certainly seeing for profit um, companies tipping into that also. Um, you get a credential. It's a credential that one company is offering. It's mm -hmm. not vetted in the same way. You could hardly call it high stakes, but we are seeing for-profit organizations getting into credentialing as well, especially at the micro. When you talk about low entry yep. to market, that's super low entry to market. 
Um, and and these companies, like I, I don't know that McKinsey is offering a um, a credential, but um, it could be that somebody would value that because of the name, the brand name. Right. So do you think that we're going to also get to a point where certifications become commodities as well? I think we're seeing an evolution on uh, academia as well as the um, competency-based education. Um, this has been a, you know, a conversation for a number of years within um, not only the schools, but within our community, the association community, and it's competency-based um, you know, uh, knowledge for the individuals or the hires. This has, um, it's been a challenge over the past probably 10 to 15 years, specifically in supply chain. Um, just a bit of history. In mid 90s, you had probably a half a dozen to a dozen schools in the world that had a supply chain program, mm -hmm. had a supply chain degree. So we were often a corollary or a substitute for a baccalaureate or a master's degree for individuals in supply chain. The market today, as we sit here, there are over 500 and it's probably close to 1000 now, um, academic and other organizations that uh, develop credentials, um, baccalaureate, master's degrees, um, certifications, certificates. It is an extremely crowded marketplace. And uh, the, from our perspective, go to the employer. How satisfied is the employer right now with the talent pool mm -hmm. that's out there? And I can tell you there's a significant amount of dissatisfaction with the capability of the individuals. And so even graduating individuals, um, college graduates, employers are very dissatisfied with the competency of the individuals to perform on the job. And I think this is where associations can really differentiate themselves on application-based knowledge. That is, take it, apply it. You don't have to do a whole lot more other than understand the concepts and apply it back on the job. And I think this is where associations can make a difference in that you know, ongoing professional development, unique, specific content to enable individuals to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. And that's really what it is. Uh, certificates, certifications, academic degrees, these are tools. And the more tools that you have in your tool belt, the more capable you are as an individual. So uh, absolutely recommend individuals get their baccalaureate degree and their, you know, their advanced degrees before they come to us. I'd love for that to be the case. Right now, there are multiple ways to enter into the supply chain, um, and you don't necessarily need a degree. It helps if you're career oriented, but to get a job right now, um, step up. There are opportunities. Yeah. So coming back to the, the point about collaboration, and you know, I think that most association, well, let's say most associations would consider themselves to be collaborative. That you know, it's like nonprofits. We don't compete. We you know get along. We work together. But I, my sense is that when you talk about collaboration, um, even with for-profit companies, you know, it's not you're not looking for a sponsorship. You know, which would would be one way we we would call it a collaboration, but it was typically a sponsorship of some, yeah. they were paying us to do something or, right. um, you know, we were giving them airtime or, you know, whatever it is, but what is the nature of collaboration that you're talking about? What's the difference in your mind when you think about how we're working potentially with for-profit partners? Yeah, and it is unique to the content that we're developing with them. So one of the things that we wanted to do was as we develop our market presence, see where we could lead, 
and see where we could support and where we are a trailer. And this started to differentiate us, you know, where do we invest? You know, how, how rapidly can we get to the market? The two areas that we thought we needed a, a partner for. So the first is, do you need a partner or can you go it alone? And then the second question is, well, if you need a partner, who is the most appropriate partner for you in the marketplace? And so that evaluation process uh, took us to external organizations. I will also tell you that in a couple of cases, it's taken us to other associations, healthcare. Um, as we all know, healthcare has a very unique supply chain. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they don't think it runs in the same business rules that either manufacturing or other types of supply chains work, but yet it's a lot of the common tools, a lot of the common practices are consistent albeit other associations may not see, no, I don't have a supply chain. When they start to break it down, they'll see that their processes are fairly consistent with almost any uh, supply chain, albeit industry focused. And so when we evaluate the opportunity, can we be the lead or are we in a support position? And then secondly, what kind of investment is it required? And is this a one and done you know, opportunity or is this something that needs to um, be maintained over the long term. We wanted to invest in long-term relationships with organizations as opposed to a research study. You do the white paper and that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, the work that we've done with The Economist is gonna build on the benchmarks that we've already established for resiliency and sustainability. The work that we're doing with Gartner right now starts to focus on DE&I. So we're taking a look at strategic imperatives for the organization, much longer term impact as opposed to uh, just develop a certification, have people take it or certificate program, and that's all we're done. Um, as we know, DEI, sustainability and resiliency, these are journey type activities. These are not destination type um, initiatives. And so the evaluation internally was, can we be a lead? And if we can't, who would be the most appropriate? And what is our role within the organization and within the market? Can we establish that credibility for our organization working with the other companies? So I'm thinking, you know, as you're talking, and we again back to impact on the community from um, an ethical supply chain perspective, from an environmental perspective. You've got Gardner, and you've got the United Nations. You're working with the Gates Foundation, yeah. um, and you're working with the Economist. Yeah. Um, is this is this your partnership dream team? To tell you the truth, um, I, I think what we've what we're recognizing is that our organization needs to be a hybrid between the um, what has brought us to this point, you know, the, the traditional association work, but then we need to start thinking very um, entrepreneurial in terms of what the future holds, because the the competition is moving faster. They're more they're better funded than we are mm -hmm. and they're quicker to decision-making, which has been a challenge for us as an industry for a long time is getting rapid decisions out of boards and the governance structure that we have um, internally. It takes about six to nine months to get a major decision through our board. Uh, other organizations don't have that, you know, that internal governance structure that they have to go through. So they're more, uh, I, I would say uh, quicker to the, you know, on the pickup we have got to be quicker. We have got to be much more responsive to what the market holds and you know, the opportunity, it goes by fairly quickly. And I think this is one of the areas as an organization, we are really um, challenged because we had developed 
you know, standards for the certification. These are mm-hmm. not what you would consider cutting edge content. Um, no organization wants to, you know, be the test, you know, the test tube for a new product or a new, you know, procedure. They want accepted business practices. Well, how do you be both? How do you develop that, you know, the content that is accepted standards within the industry and benchmarks, and at the same time, be that organizations that are on the cutting edge, uh, whether it's AI, machine learning, or a lot of the digital transformation that organizations are going through right now, how do you balance the need between our investment in our core content versus what organizations are looking for to transform them? So you're really focused on in in the context of that partnership then, and and I mean, all the organizations that we mentioned, I'm sure have their own issues. But what you're focusing on, it sounds like, is how do you be the best partner in the context of these really high profile partnerships, right? And how how do you live into that and and make sure that your organization um, can hold your end of the deal as you look at this? It's, I, I think for a lot of associations, um, and, and let me say, I guess I, I want to take a second just to say that all of those partnerships that, you know, you've talked about and that I named weren't handed to you on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. There were years, there was years of building to be able to get the profile, the introductions, I imagine, and, and everything that goes into getting them to even talk to you um, and know who ASCM, you know, is. And so making sure that you're keeping up and they continue to see you as a vital and worthy partner. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I'm feeling like that's a lot of pressure. That's a, there's a lot going on there, especially in, um, you know, the environment that we're in right now. I mean, how do you go about creating that organization that can be a worthy partner to the economist? It's a, it, it, you're describing one of the challenges that we have is, uh, you know, how do you manage all of this in a disparate, you know, marketplace mm-hmm. uh, where you can't see anybody anymore, you can't travel anymore, right. you can't, you know, the, the work that we're doing in Africa, as you were pointing out with the Gates Foundation, uh, while they've moved on to the COVID issue, we have maintained our relationships with the ministries of health in the African, you know, region, sub-Saharan Africa, where we're working. It's critical that we maintain those commitments to individuals because you got to walk the talk. And I think this is where organizations, specifically associations, can make a difference. Indicate what you're going to do and then do it. And I think aspirationally, I think this is where we have really, um, I'm really proud of the organization in terms of its commitment to long-term sustainable business practices. While there are short-term opportunities for us to take advantage of, I'm more concerned about a sustainable business model that we can rely on for many years to come, that three to five year time frame that we are um, really focused on right now. In the short term, we're going to see quite a bit of disruption. But the from our perspective is being that, uh, you know, you use the great phrase, being a good partner to other organizations and viewing value proposition as a much broader context as opposed to what's in it for me. If I can make you successful, I know that you're going to reach back to me and work with me. And so while we're working with these other organizations, it is a core of what we do as an organization, albeit in different markets, in different regions across the globe. But it's still a focus on the individual, on the industry, and on the community. So that doesn't change irrespective of where we deliver. It's still those three that really centers us as an organization. So one last question. 
for you before we have to bring this conversation to a close. Um, as we come out of the pandemic, what do you hope changes for good and what do you hope returns to pre-pandemic ways? I don't want to go back to um, the pre-pandemic ways in terms of the, the short-term focus. I think we need to have a, a sustainable focus as an industry and as, a, um, as professionals. We have focused on just-in-time for a number of years on efficiency and effectiveness. What we didn't prepare for was the just-in-case. And the role responsibility that supply chain has, I think is now well understood at an individual level, at a community level, at an economy level, and obviously at a climate change and an economic and ec ecological basis. We understand the impact that supply chain has. I am hopeful that we take this opportunity to recognize that supply chain can have a significant positive impact on our world not only on economies, but on ecologies as well. You and I, uh, a number of years ago, uh, we came up with this little axiom of how do we know we're making a difference? Well, mm -hmm. if we can train an individual and if we can get them on the job and have them make a difference, they're gonna make their organizations better. If we can make their organizations better, they're gonna make economies better. If we can improve economies, we can improve lives. So we can connect what we do with the individual to having an impact on people's lives. And that's what really drives us as an organization. So that's first, I don't want that to change. I want that to be as a hallmark of what we do as an organization. What I'm hopeful is that we have a much better understanding of what our collective responsibilities are as opposed to individual responsibilities. And I think this is one of the hallmarks of supply chain. It is based on collaboration. There's very few supply chains that are owned and operated collectively within one organization. So collaboration, communication really is at the foundation of any supply chain, whether you're talking about tier one, tier two, tier three, vendors or customers, it is an extended relationship that you've got. So this is a wonderful opportunity to make a difference holistically. And I, I would hope that as we move out of the, the current pandemic, and start to make the necessary decisions we do with an eye towards our responsibility to the community and to the ecology and to the environment. It is a top priority for almost every organization, at least a top three priority for every organization that's climate change and sustainability, supply chain can have a significant impact on improving it. You know, uh, when I first started working with you at Apex, you, um, and almost it's about like every conversation we had, you were like, Sharon, it's about supply chain. And I'm like, yeah, it's about supply chain. I know. And at that point, you know, I had very little understanding of supply chain. Yeah. One of the things that I think is true for associations, so I got, I became equally obnoxious as I learned more and then really understood the interconnection and how almost every business strategy today really is about supply chain. Yeah. If there was that one thing that I would want every association to be able to understand coming out of the pandemic and, and for all the reasons that you've uh, very eloquently stated during this conversation is I would want every every association to be able to understand supply chain and why supply and the insights that supply chain and understanding supply chain can have for their business moving forward. Um, it's it's a I think it's one of the fundamental organizing concepts of of doing business today in this world. Um, 
and it's very powerful for me. I remember, you know, being really giddy when um, I saw the first supply chain storyline on television. Um, and now, of course, every day, every news broadcast, every second, it's supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. So it's really, um, you know, been a wonderful thing to watch. Um, I'm very proud of you and very proud of all the staff at ASCM for the difference that you're making and how you've advanced as an organization and really excited to see what comes next. Thank you very much, Sharon. This has been an extraordinary journey and just having a part of it has been just not only uh, personally rewarding, but more importantly, being able to make a difference in somebody else's life. I, uh, I can't think of a, a more appropriate objective that any association can have. Yeah, I agree. So thank you everybody for listening to this podcast. Um, we appreciate the time and the energy that uh, Abe, you've put into it today and we'll talk to everyone soon. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com to find out how to get your organization on track to Association 4.0. You can also engage in other educational content by becoming a member of .org community or reading our books on Association 4.0, which you can find on Amazon. We look forward to hearing from you soon.